The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 188 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in this show are my own and that that of my president or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence or privilege to as a result of my current employment. I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders to leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, folks, last week we had the renowned global CISO and privacy officer, Dr. Rebecca Wynn, Come back on the show for uh, episode number 187 of TF7 Radio. We discussed the ever-changing role of the CISO and how burnout is hitting the cybersecurity industry very hard. Dr. Wynn emphasized the importance of recovery, mental health, and for leaders to have people as their number one operating priority. We also discussed how companies are still trying to figure out how the CISO fits into their business and how they struggle to know how to measure the CISO's success. Dr. Wynn gave a privacy update that shed light on GDPR, Australian Privacy Principles, EU-US Ireland Privacy Shield, and CCPA Global Privacy Control. We ended the show with Dr. Wynn giving her perspective on future trends, which include self-adaptive security, privacy-enhancing technologies, invisible computing, and the AI regulatory framework. All this and much, much more in episode number 187 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, folks, in case you missed it, don't sweat it. We're on at least 11 different playback mediums. You can find us everywhere, folks. That's episode number 187, The Role of the CISO, Past, Present, Future, on last week's episode of TF7 Radio. Well, folks, I'm excited for tonight's guest. We have the former senior cybersecurity advisor to the SEC chair, Chris Hetner. Chris Hetner is a senior executive board member and leader in cybersecurity, recognized for raising cyber risk to the corporate board level in order to protect industries, infrastructures, and economies. He creates operational resilience by aligning most robust cybersecurity strategies with business objectives. Mr. Hetner's professional judgment combined with a public company perspective and SEC regulatory and investor oversight experience has led to his success in corporate and government roles. Currently, he is an expert advisor of the Institute for Defense Analysis, U.S. Department of Treasury, the special advisor for cyber risk for the NACD, and a national board member of Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. Chris has served as a senior advisor, cybersecurity advisor, the chair of the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, and as head of cybersecurity for the Office of Compliance, Inspections, and Examinations at the SEC. He also represented the chair of the SEC as a senior member of the U.S. Department of Treasury Financial Banking Information Infrastructure Committee. His greatest contributions included vision for and implementation of the first agency-wide cybersecurity governance structure, threat intelligence program, and incident response capabilities. The cybersecurity framework he implemented improved the national examinations program's ability to monitor and respond to cyber threats across the U.S. securities market. Mr. Hetner's thought leadership is actively sought by governments, private and public entities, industry associations, and media outlets as the threats to critical infrastructure and economies increase. Throughout his career, he has shared his professional experience by mentoring students at Columbia University, New York University, Fordham School of Law, and Pace University. He's a certified information security manager by ISACA, certified information systems professional ISC2, and holds a high-level U.S. security clearance. Mr. Hetner earned a MS cum laude in information assurance from Norwich University and a BS in security management from John Jay College of Criminal Justice. It's my pleasure to introduce former senior cybersecurity advisor to the SEC chair, Mr. Chris Hetner. Chris, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, brother. Hey, Andy. Nice to see you, man. Yeah, man. It's been a minute. I'm glad you're able to come on the show. You know, we were, uh, you know, we were catching up before the show and, uh, you know, we have similar backgrounds, man. So I, I always love when I get the chance to talk to folks like you to kind of share backgrounds. Like, you know, dude, you grew up on the streets in the Bronx, 
you know, how'd you go from the streets to the boardroom to advising the SEC chair, man? I can't wait to hear your story. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's certainly been a journey, brother. Yeah, so, you know, uh, from New York, from the city, um, decided in my uh, early stages of college uh, to pursue a career in law enforcement. Uh, so I attended uh, the great uh, City University of New York, John Jay College Criminal Justice, kind of follow my uh, father's footsteps in, the, in law enforcement. He was also, he served in the Marine Corps. And uh, during my, uh, my undergrad studies, this is back in the early 90s, I remember taking this course that was called computer security. And this nutty professor sat me down in his office and he was doing some computer forensics work with the FBI and NYPD. He says, Chris, the bad guys are going to go from robbing banks to, with guns to using X execution of complex code of computer networks. And, you know, fast forward today, here we are, um, you know, early on, uh, built out a couple of uh, large data centers here in the New York tri-state area, uh, largely servicing the financial services industry. And then uh, I went straight into banking and financial services, worked at Citigroup for five years, uh, right up until about the financial crisis of 2008. Uh, became uh, the global CISO for GE Capital. Uh, was uh, working out of their headquarters here in Norwalk, Connecticut. Um, grew out the uh, cybersecurity program, uh, operated over 60 countries, $500 billion in assets. We had received the SIFI designation per Dodd-Frank. So we had to double down on our investment, uh, regulatory oversight. Uh, spent five years there and then uh, worked at EY uh, to get a flavor of management consulting, the kind of the buy side of cyber. Worked very closely uh, with the wealth management uh, industry. So investment advisors, broker dealers, hedge fund, private equity. And that led me to the SEC. Uh, so I recall doing a panel discussion in Midtown Manhattan. And the director of the exam division was also on the panel so we're, you know, kind of, you know, shooting the breeze in the green room uh, before we get on stage. And he mentioned to me, hey, Chris, you know, you know any people that have Wall Street experience or in the kind of the CISO role that would be interested in serving the SEC to come build out their cybersecurity program? Because we're looking to double down on our regulatory regime. And so, uh, yeah, I kind of you know, flipped through the role decks and I thought to myself, hey, what a great opportunity to go serve. Uh, in the federal government, the executive branch. So I uh, took the role there to build out their cybersecurity examination program. Uh, chair uh, Mary Jo White uh, was in, in the, uh, you know, serving as the chair at that point. And she decided to build out a program at the chair's office to help organize and coordinate cyber across the agency. So uh, she tapped me on the shoulder, said, you know, come, come build out the program, come serve. Um, had the conversation with my wife, said, listen, I'm going to have to spend 90% of the time in Washington, D.C. Uh, so I decided to do that, uh, help to uh, understand their cyber risk posture across the agency and how that pivots to the securities market. And then once uh, she, uh, Mary Jo, exited the SEC, Jay Clayton uh, became uh, the new chairman. He asked me to remain in the role and continue to work on national security matters, looking at the safety and soundness of our securities market and help to coordinate uh, matters in terms of intelligence, threat uh, activity, as well as how we go about managing risk across the, uh, the various sectors. So quite a fascinating ride. Um, you know, Andy, I know you served in, uh, in the government as well. Um, extremely rewarding. I've been out of uh, government over the last couple of years back in the private sector, but still working in an advisory capacity uh, across uh, various national security efforts as well as in the boardroom. So it's, uh, it's, it's been an interesting ride, my friend. Yeah, man, for sure. And I appreciate you sharing because I think, you know, what gets, you know, what we want to pull the thread on here is like, you know, the time when Mary Jo was there, you know, to what we're doing now. I mean, like what you stood up really became the foundation for like where, the SEC now has some, some standing, you know, not just like legal standing, right. But actually has like capability to now start to think about our, how do we advise the boardroom on what we expect as the, you know, SEC to now push into the boardroom for private companies and say, Hey, look, 
you know, so you, you started to put out guidance around what they should be doing. Right. And I think now more than ever, that guidance um, is probably going to start to take, you know, need to be taken action on or action on here because folks are still struggling, um, you know, with what the bare minimum they should be doing. Right. And I think the bare minimum is going to get executives in a really tough spot as the threat landscape continues to heat up and, you know, the pressure from, um, you know, the threat actors are not, is not going away. And you've got an administration that's also saying, "Hey, look, we're we're going to now modernize our IT infrastructure. We're we're putting we're, we're paying most atten- closer attention." Um, so, where do you see the the future kind of headed um, of how the SEC will will play a role, or just guidance to board members in general at this point? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And look, you know, it's the the cyber industry you know as you know it's still you know evolving it's you know in relative terms it's fairly nascent right and you know i mean look i i was in the ciso seat for 5 years um, and i struggled with communicating to to management to the business and to the board on what was meaningful you know what do we articulate that moves the needle what's an expression of risk and and now uh, it's even become you know, more of an issue given the level and intensity of attack, but also the downstream impact on the balance sheet and in the economic impact. I mean, this year alone, 2021, the World Economic Forum projects cyber loss globally to be roughly about $6 trillion. And so, so we're starting to see, you know, increased loss activity, not only from the immediate impact of the attack, but also all this downstream you know, residual effect that occurs through, you know, lost revenue, uh, regulatory litigation costs. And, and so the shift now is really about, you know, how do we take our cybersecurity program in its current state, where we need to go to advance the capabilities to reduce our risk as a mechanism of reduced exposure, reduced financial and economic exposure. So that's really where the boardroom uh, is increasingly being calibrated against that type of conversation. The 2018 guidance that we issued was really about two aspects of disclosure. One, which was, hey, we have a breach. We realized an incident. We believe, based on our assessment, it's material, and therefore we're going to disclose. The second piece of the disclosure requirement is now about risk. So it's more about the you know, the left side of the balance sheet. I have some risk here that we think is material. It hasn't resulted in an impact, but we feel like we need to disclose this to our shareholders, to our investors, and have that, you know, clear, articulated conversation to the board in terms of how to address that risk. And in the guidance, it specifically states that U.S. publicly listed companies, and there's roughly about 5,600 listed companies uh, with the SEC. And the protocols that are stated in the guidance should be in place in order for management and the board to determine the materiality of a cyber incident and risk relative to its business, financial, and operating condition. Now, I don't know any other way to accomplish that objective, other than thinking about stressing the balance sheet, understanding the financial impact. If this incident, this risk were to be realized, exploited, um, what's the downstream impact? So we're seeing now the shift from more of a tactical discussion, which, oh, by the way, largely gets lost in translation, Andy, in the boardroom. Um, I sit on the NACD, National Association of Corporate Directors, as their cyber risk advisor, And last year, we issued a survey across the board community. 70% of the board community came back with, hey, we don't understand what's being communicated to us from a cyber risk perspective. Um, We do not have key performance indicators or metrics placed on management. So to me, and the market as a whole, there's a huge disconnect between you know, where the security organization sits in terms of enterprise risk versus how that message gets translated and actioned by the board in order for the board to exercise their oversight and their fiduciary responsibility. So, 
you know, with that uh, and, you know, the increased intensity of these types of uh, attacks on our supply chain and our economy, we're going to see a doubling down, a level up on that engagement model between management and the board. Um, I suspect uh, come this fall, the SEC will go through a, a rulemaking process with the new chairman, and they're going to start looking at cybersecurity risk governance as a priority. And what I would expect is uh, the boardroom uh, placing increased expectations on management to put forth meaningful metrics to establish more of that financial risk, business-oriented lens on their cybersecurity posture so that um, they're showing, in, in, you know, from a positive trending perspective, the reduction and buy down of that economic exposure. So, yeah. you know, definitely more to come. But I would advise uh, to all of our CISO community members that um, start to double down on this focus, start to look at the increased uh, quantification and application of financial exposure to your cyber risk posture. Start now. Yeah, man. Look, I cannot wait to dive into this more. I got so many questions for you. But folks, we got to transition to a commercial break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram. I'm searching at TF7 Radio to be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause some quick messages from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with former senior cybersecurity advisor to the SCC chair, Mr. Chris Hetner. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. 
Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with former senior cybersecurity advisor, the SEC chair, Mr. Chris Hetner. Well, Chris, you know, you were touching on something I think is so important for our community. And we've been talking about this amongst the CISO community for so long, which is how do we start to move away from threat and vulnerability and to be relevant, you know, at the at the executive table, right? I mean, we, you know, you, I'd love to get your take on, um, you know, how you think CISO should be approaching this as they're you know, going to get new guidance from board members. Um, but I'd love, like, if you were in the seat, what would you be doing right now? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a good question. And, you know, I, uh, I sympathize uh, with the CISO community, um, given the, you know, the intensity of the focus, the attention, the threat activity, the scarce level of resources, um, the pervasiveness of poor IT hygiene and practices. So uh, my hat's off to, to everyone in, in the role and, and fighting the good fight. Um, but, but with that, look, you know, you're not going to, you're never going to be a hundred percent secure um, to, to communicate that, you know, there's zero appetite for a cyber attack being realized is not realistic. I've actually um, was working with one board member that had that view and I had to walk them off a cliff to essentially say, that's not realistic. You know, you're going to realize some type of impact or incident. So I think what's needed in this space, honestly, is a, you know, a, a message and a platform that allows the CISO community uh, to effectively roll cyber as part of their enterprise risk management process in, in such a way that levels the risk relative to their business profile. So, you know, healthcare is a little different than financial services. Financial services is going to look different than manufacturing. So you've got all these inherent, you know, business risk uh, profiles and create a, a message that's understandable to the senior business executives and, and to the, um, the individuals on your board of directors. So, so here, you know, here's an approach that I, I would take. I would start looking at um, you know, what's most critical to my business and start creating a set of scenarios that, um, that would be uh, most material uh, based on a cyber event, most material to your business, and then start drawing out what the specific loss categories would be. You know, is it an intellectual property theft event? Uh, is it business interruption? Is it ransomware? Uh, is it loss of customer data? You know, is it a data integrity event? And start drawing out those specific scenarios. And then take a look at your portfolio of cyber investments and understand how effective those defenses would be to, to buy down or address some of that risk and start to aggregate that exposure in economic and business terms. I found that, you know, the last two years working in the cyber risk management industry, working with the insurance sector, working with uh, various, uh, you know, ratings platforms that the, the insurance industry has a rich set of data uh, around what the losses would be and, and how they're going to be realized based on, uh, their view on, on in terms of underwriting, risk transfer decisioning. And then from there, um, it's a matter of uh, you know, understanding the business impact, the cyber hygiene exposure, and how effective your defenses are relative to addressing or buying down that risk, which should pull you into a, a view that could be presented to the board to say, hey, we've got this level of exposure across the enterprise, we've stressed the balance sheet, we've looked at these various scenarios, we have the, you know, the, this level of defense, here's our overall exposure, here's what we think we can transfer using cyber insurance, here's the balance. Of that balance, how much of risk are you willing to accept and how much do you, are we willing to, to invest in order to manage down that risk exposure and then over time, just set the expectation, whether it's, you know, you're meeting with the board quarterly or, or twice a year, demonstrate to management and the board that you're moving the needle, you're managing down that risk and provide full transparency to what that risk issue is, what, where the roadblocks are. Because many companies may say, hey, you know, 
Mr. and Mrs. CISO, you've got a $50 million check to go spend on cyber. It's great. But culturally, if you're not calibrated to, to address that risk, that becomes a problem set. So, so you've got to be completely transparent, remove those roadblocks across the enterprise, and just relentlessly you know, manage down that exposure. So I, I, mean, I, love, I love what you're talking about here, and I think it's the future. Um, but where do you feel like there's a that disconnect's not the right word, but do you feel like there is a level of education that has to happen? Like I would almost love to see board members and CISOs like taking training together here, right? Because I think, you know, board members typically aren't, does, there's not enough technical representation typically on all boards, um, at least on the cyber side. And then there's not enough business acumen to some extent and not some of the CISOs, right? And so there's this, like translation that has to happen. That's right. um, and, and I would love to see something, you know, play out there. Um, how do you think that bridge gets, you know, how, how do we close that gap? Like, I think that's, that's where I think people are hung up. Cause if, if you take the yeah. boardroom off on one end and the CISOs off on the other, and they both come up with two separate workshops, the outcomes of those would be completely different on what they think the, res- the, the, the uh, product should be, right? Like what they should get. Like how are we going to bridge the gap? I tell you, I couldn't agree more, Andy. You know, we've got a uh, significant disconnect, right? So you've got the, the CISO community. You've got some CISOs that are, um, you know, kind of the, you know, understand the business acumen, understand the industry they operate in, but yet can, can go deep tactical to make sure that their portfolio is calibrated. And then you've got, within that CISO community, the other end of the equation, where the CISO doesn't necessarily have the business acumen, doesn't have the relationships to to empower uh, the security team to be successful within the enterprise, and and leans more towards the tactical side of the balance sheet to solve for problems. And, And then take the board community. I mean, the majority of the board members are not digital and cyber competent. Um, you know, and so, so you've got this, you know, huge disconnect between the two areas. So, yeah, I would tackle this in two ways. Um, let's start with the board community. Board community, I would expect a digital, increased digital and cyber competency. You know, do you need a cyber expert on every board? The answer is no. Are there certain boards tied to a company where you should have doubling down on your cyber and digital competency? The answer is yes. Like, you know, if you're a cybersecurity company, you're publicly listed, uh, you're in the business of providing value add, valuable products to the cybersecurity community, you should probably have a couple of board members that understand the space, not only to help enrich the product um, and to ensure that it aligns with the industry needs, but also to ensure that the company is applying the safeguards and, and protecting their data and their assets. Uh, so, so, you, so you wanted to have a level of digital cyber competency in the board, the right level of, of governance and construct. Uh, some companies have cyber reported to the audit committee. Leading companies tend to build out a separate subcommittee on risk that focuses on a broad set of risk issues, including cyber, technology, supply chain risk, and, and creating that focus group within the board allows for the CISO and the board to, to unpackage that cyber risk in a way where you're not just glossing over the topic, you're actually diving deep and you're dedicating the resources and the time. And look, if the board doesn't have the expertise at the table, they have the ability to go augment and outsource some of that capability. So we've seen that through, for instance, the digital directors network, um, which is giving uh, boards the option to pull in expert advisors. There are other platforms, uh, consulting firms, and, and other um, types of companies that can deliver that cyber expertise in an outsourced way if that board seat is not available to that digital and cyber individual. So, so dedicating the time, applying the resource in a risk management focused area on cyber at the board level is the right thing to do. And, and, and we need to start doubling down on that, on that focus. So where do you think the future is for, you know, 
public companies are obviously regulated by the SEC. But for, I'd say, from a data security perspective, you know, almost companies that are considered non-regulated, right? They're not PCI, they're, you know, PII risk isn't that high because they really just maybe are smaller. But, you know, for companies that are like nation state targets, IP theft, um, but are not regulated outside of being a public company, you know, how do you, you know, what, what's the model look like to kind of translate between the CISO and the boardroom to drive investment strategies so that, you know, because you're, you got an environment where you're not forced to have to do things. Um, What's the guidance there for those CISOs that are in that seat around, you know, having to, you know, sell their programs in a non-regulated environment um, in order to make sure that you're meeting the duty of care, you know, for a public company? Yeah, look, you know, if you're, if you're a, a privately held company, um, you're not forced uh, to, to, you know, apply certain investments because of, uh, you know, regulation or, or other external oversight. Uh, now, now it's a question of, you know, how are you preserving value to your customers? How are you maintaining a level of, you know, of hygiene where um, you're delivering value and you're you're you know remaining relevant in your industry. So so that should be the calculus. That should be the lens. Honestly, uh, that the the you know the CISO in that particular organization should be should be uh, having a dialogue around that with their leadership team and being extremely transparent and quantitative in terms of evaluating and understanding their cyber posture and their exposure. Uh, to preserve value, to preserve that financial condition. And look, you know, certain companies that are under the radar, that are not regulated, uh, could be um, just calibrated for hyper growth. And the, those types of companies, um, you know, typically that are in that hyper growth stage are looking for some type of exit, whether it's going public or acquired by another company. So you're, you know, you're, the soundness of your cyber hygiene is uh is tied to that that valuation on the exit and and you know for that CISO, i would say that hey the last thing we need is an adverse event due to poor cyber hygiene that undermines the valuation of our company no, and, no and doubt hold, hold that in front of the you know the board hold that in front of your ceo every time you have that conversation so so you bring up an interesting point right because i think when the, in the in the process of these hyper growth companies that are going to go public the attention to security happens because that's the catalyst. But I would love to get your take on when that company is actually seeking investment and is building this company from the beginning, the investment community doesn't put a premium on, I want to spend a lot of money on security because they want to see you get to an MVP, start getting users, start making money, whatever it is. And they forego security up front, but then expect it to be bolted on later. What do we got to do to get the investment community to get comfortable with investing in security by design and being a part of security at the table from the the start of the company, and not right when we think we you know in order to for it to be a catalyst to go public? Yeah, look, it, it's it's a matter of being transparent and communicating that that value and that exposure upfront as part of you know building out that company profile. And, and as part of your management team, um, you want, you know, a couple of champions that think about cyber as an enterprise risk management issue. And it's, you know, it's other, it's beyond cyber. It could be supply chain exposure. Uh, some companies that are reliant on, you know, outsourcing some of their, you know, their IT or outsourcing some of their development tend to choose offshore resources to, to gain economies of scale. Uh, but that comes with, a, with, comes with a price, comes with a cost, right? You know, you, you've got to validate that the code that's being, you know, performed offshore, reintroduced into your product, uh, maintains a level of soundness and quality uh, in order to preserve and, and uh, maintain that value for your company. So it needs to be built in upfront. And, you know, as you build your, you know, your investment strategy, your product roadmap, your business plan, you um, Cybersecurity 
as well as IT hygiene as a broad basis needs to be factored in through that financial lens. And you need to look at, you know, what the exposure may be across various categories. You know, I tend to use and lean on the cyber insurance loss categories, such as data breach, interruption, ransomware, misappropriation of data. And if you can pull that, that data set into the model and as part of your calculus, as, as you go through the investment rounds, um, make sure that's highlighted up front. So if you're asking for uh, $20 million of investment, uh, a portion of that uh, needs to be dedicated towards enterprise risk management. And then as part of that enterprise risk management bucket of money uh, should be dedicated towards cyber and, and technology hygiene. Yeah, man. So yeah, that, that's helpful. So look, we've had um, the X analytics team on, we've had, we've had Bob Vessio on, we've had Frazzini on. Um, and one of the things that they talk about is, you know, how they're working with the insurance company to, um, you know, they in essence have a regular, a validated model. Um, and, you know, in our space, we've had a lot of models in cybersecurity that kind of quantify dollars um, but none of them have been, I think, validated by the financial sector, you know, to kind of support a global industry like the insurance industry. Um, do you see more of that kind of innovation continuing to happen to help bridge this gap? Well, I, I will tell you, Andy, you know, when I exited the SEC a couple of years ago, um, I made a you know, deliberate choice to work within the, what I call the risk management industry. Uh, and I went to work for Marshall McClellan and Company to build out their enterprise-wide cyber risk management program. Marsh, uh, as you know, is a, one of the top uh, global cyber insurance brokerage. Um, the, the overall brokerage business is about a $20 billion business, and they are in the business of risk management at the end of the day. So uh, what I did was I, you know, I moved into that, that arena, if I may, and you know, worked with the, the large carriers, uh, the likes of AIG. Uh, I came across X Analytics, uh, Bob Bessio, John Prezzini, that were delivering insights and analytics to the insurance sector to help them think about risk transfer decisions. And you know, while, while I was there for, for just over a year, I'm thinking through this and looking at the formulas and the, the disciplines on, on, from an economic and accounting perspective, how they're going through these stress tests and balance, stressing the balance sheet, it became obvious to me that the insurance industry you know, not only has the data in terms of loss activity, uh, but they also have the, the calibration, the discipline around what, what the approach should be because they're not throwing a technology tool or, or uh, you know, applying that cyber lens or applying a business lens. So, so that's where uh, I think the industry is heading. It's more towards that, you know, understanding and contemplating the final financial exposure due to cyber risk. And as you, you know, improve your enterprise risk management process, cyber risk becomes a component of that process and it needs to be constantly evaluated on a recurring basis and reported not only enterprise-wide, but also upstream to your board. And now once you have that financial lens tied to your cyber exposure, you can back into that to look at where you're getting the biggest bang for the buck, where you're buying down that risk in terms of efficacy of investment. You know, I've seen, and I was a victim of this, you know, CISOs asking for tens of millions of dollars and the first thing they do is they go buy the latest and greatest tool versus looking at where the systemic issues are in the business and trying to address the culture, trying to address the reliance on suppliers that may have poor cyber practices. So, so you've got to be that you know kind of champion and chief to look at the cyber risk at a, at a broad basis to then zone in as to where the investments uh, should be made. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun to watch over the next couple of years, especially as continued guidance, you know, and board members, you know, are going to be, you know, probably going to their CISO saying, all right, here's how I want to be communicated to, right? I think we as an industry have taken forever to try to figure it out. And there's more CISO seats open than ever before. More companies are, 
you know, more cyber aware board members understand they have a fiduciary responsibility and that they need to really understand this stuff. And they're being, you know, asked to make sure they know. So I think, you know, CISOs, I hope, you know, for all my friends out there doing it, right, we've got to be um, proactive here because I, I'm concerned that there's going to be a point where they're going to be backed into a corner and forced into a type of reporting that they're unfamiliar with. And so hopefully we can drive that conversation. So, all right, man, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. Don't go away, folks. We're right back with more from former senior cybersecurity advisor to the SEC chair, Mr. Chris Hetner. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with former senior cybersecurity advisor of the SEC chair. Chris Hetner. All right, brother. We're, we're on the, the home stretch here. Appreciate you coming onto the show. But I do, you know, we're talking about some next gen stuff with regards to boardrooms, communicating with CISOs and looking at, you know, converting security into business terms for board members to be able to, you know, consume it better. Because let's at the end of the day, balance sheets and finances are is the language of business. And we need to adopt that, right, as practitioners. But I also don't want to lose sight of, you know, reinforcing the the basics, right? Like, what, what was it? What, what would be some of the advice you'd give to folks to make sure you're like, you know, as we're looking at this over the horizon next gen stuff, like, keep your eye on what prize right now. What do they need to be doing? Yeah, definitely. You know, don't underestimate the basics. Um, you know, in in fact, you know, as you get to that business or economic oriented lens, um, you should be able to easily pivot down to, okay, so here are the, 
you know, 10 or, or 20 actions I need to take at an enterprise level in order to move the needle uh, and to, to affect in a positive way the reduction in our you know, cyber exposure. So drill down on the basics of, of technology hygiene. Um, establish an IT asset inventory. Understand who the owners are. What type of data sits on those systems? Uh, how do you classify them? What's the third-party inventory? Uh, and and you know that that becomes you know the definition of what your attack surface is. So ensure that to the extent that you can uh, that that uh, that inventory that attack surface is well known, updated. There are owners. It's governed on an ongoing basis, constantly refreshed. Um, and then that ties nicely into enterprise-wide training and awareness. Uh, all employees, contractors, aware of the threats, aware of the various vectors, compromise the, the enterprise, and ensure that uh, that continuous training is performed, as well as precise training and, and drill-down training, what I call, uh, we used to have our developers undergo periodic uh, secure coding training. Uh, and and so be in a position to take that enterprise-wide training and then creating different chunks uh, applied to specific individuals. Um, look, you know, basic blocking, tackling, patching, um, misconfigurations, uh, ensuring that, you know, default settings are not enabled or addressed. And so, you know, th those are, that's low-hanging fruit that um, an adversary – you know, loves to exploit. It's, you know, the least level of effort from their end. And uh, they're just waiting for, you know, the company to be compromised as a result of poor hygiene practices. So, you know, start with that basic, you know, secure application coding, system configuration, coding practices. And that should be run on ideally an automated basis uh, to achieve, you know, efficiency, to establish some scale and then, you know, once you identify where those exposures are, ensure that you have an understanding of where the individuals sit in the enterprise to go fix. And, and look, you might get pushed back to say, hey, you know, an application requires, uh, you know, this level of coding to be addressed. Then it becomes an issue of, you know, the maintenance window, the downtimes. You've got to have the, you know, detailed metrics in order to manage that. And look, if there's pushback around addressing some of these hygiene issues because, you know, culturally not calibrated, this is a conversation you need to have to the board. You know, if you have material exposure in the way you maintain your cyber hygiene and individuals in the IT organization or in the business aren't willing to participate, then that's a conversation that you need to bring to management because you, you have unnecessary risk exposure uh, unacceptable risk exposure that that's that's sitting on your balance sheet. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, end user authentication, uh, multi-factor authentication, reducing the amount of sensitive data that's sit throughout your enterprise, data loss protection, continuous monitoring of that data, and, you know, rigorous and ongoing enterprise-wide as well as uh, organizational or unit-wide uh, types of drills and cyber exercises. You're always going to learn something new as part of going through an exercise. So wherever possible, use these cyber exercises as an opportunity to gain visibility into where you have uh, exposure and, um, you know, improve your processes going forward. Yeah, man, it's, it's uh, well stated. So, so look, man, I, when I get folks like you on the show with your background, I always want to, I like to ask them this question at the end of the show, because I think you, you it's such an interesting journey. Um, you know, what advice would you give folks coming into, um, you know, the cybersecurity industry now or the ERM, you know, the risk management space now um, who are just starting out? Yeah. I mean, look, if you're, if you're on the journey into cyber, um, I, you know, and I, and I advise and I, I mentor a series of students in, uh, in Columbia university and NYU, you know, identify an area that you're going to specialize in and, and develop that technology skill. So my, my early on, my skills were really developed around systems administration, largely in the windows platform and uh, really extremely heads down on network security engineering. So I mastered, you know, TCP IP as a protocol set. Uh, I mastered 
you know, deployment of firewalls and, and routing protocols and, and looking at um, intrusion detection, monitoring deployments uh, at the network level. That was my, you know, my tactical skill set. So develop um, some tactical foundation. And it could be anything. It could be database security. It could be secure coding. It could be scripting. Uh, but, you know, show an appreciation and, and dedicate some time to technology platform. And as you evolve your career, um, start to develop an appreciation of the 360 view of cybersecurity. It's, in, it's integration and implications across the enterprise. And, and by doing that, it's going to force you to step out of your comfort zone and start meeting and engaging with folks in, in the business, uh, speaking with the marketing teams, working with finance, working with the sales organization, you know, working with other aspects of technology to, to develop, you know, what motivates these individuals, where are their priorities? And then um, from a security perspective, you gain the appreciation as to where these risks can originate from in all these disparate pieces across the enterprise. And, and as you, you know, you think about that on a holistic basis, you know, engage in industry groups, work with your peers, um, get involved with some volunteer uh, mentor students, um, you know, work with government counterparts on understanding their efforts from, you know, a legal, regulatory, legislative perspective. And then, you know, you just start to build this, you know, this well-rounded uh, view on cyber, working across different industries, different silos, and, and having that holistic view is just going to develop uh, more capability uh, as you evolve your career. Well, Chris, I really appreciate you coming on the show, brother. Anytime, man. Happy to contribute. And uh, we're all in this together. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up and out of here. Before I go to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show, get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.